The bus leaves us in another cloud of swirling dust and exhaust. We turn and cough and choke and find ourselves staring through the haze at the steaming sewer grates and dirty brick faces of downtown. The streets are dotted with broken bottles and yesterday's news crumpled and tumbling about. The mail collection box is banged up, paint peeling. I'm not about to go anywhere near it, mostly because of the dead cat thing. The walls in this part of downtown are scrawled with graffiti. I'm sure if I asked him, Topher would say that the red and white spray paint you see everywhere is actually ancient elvish, and that the symbols point the way to some magical world, but this place looks anything but magical. The hospital's that way, Topher says, checking the map, and the park's just beyond it, but the place we're looking for should be just down the street. The place we're looking for is called What Ails You. It's one of 15 liquor establishments we have to choose from. It just happens to be the one closest to this bus stop. Also, it carries a wide selection of wine, at least according to its website. I've never been in a liquor store before. My parents don't drink, not even sake. They probably probably believe alcohol should be outlawed, too, along with motorcycles and Halloween. Miss Bixby, obviously, feels differently. The cheesecake is pulling the straps down on my shoulders, which already feel bruised. I don't know why Brand can't carry it. His backpack's not much smaller than mine, and he's the biggest of the three of us, big enough to call Trevor Cowley names to his face, at least. Tell me again how three sixth graders are going to acquire a bottle of wine, I ask, stepping around the shard of broken glass. This, after all, was the hazy part of Topher's plan, the one he was saving for later. It's certainly the only part that we could get arrested for. As far as I know, you don't have to be over 21 to buy a cheesecake, but a bottle of wine is different. Topher shrugs. It's simple, he says. We just hang around outside the liquor store until we find someone who's willing to go in and buy it for us. Brand turns and stands in front of Topher, blocking the sidewalk. That's it? That's your elaborate master plan? What? They do it all the time in the movies, Topher protests. Not in any of the movies I've seen, Brand tells him. It's true. I hate to side with Brand, but I don't remember Harry Potter bribing Hagrid to buy him a beer at the Leaky Cauldron. Well, what do you think we're going to do? Slip the bottle under our shirt and walk out with it? That's illegal. So is purchasing alcohol for minors, I point out. But stealing is more illegal, Topher counters. I shake my head. I'm fairly certain there aren't levels of this sort of thing. Something is either legal or it's not. And this is definitely not. But Topher is insistent. It will work, he says. All we need is a good story. Want to know what's not a good story? Brand mumbles. Three Fox Ridge sixth graders were arrested earlier today for attempting to illegally purchase a bottle of wine. Tune in at six for details. Topher huffs impatiently. Listen, nobody said this would be easy. You knew when you signed on. But you said yourself, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it right or not at all. He's looking at Brand, who nods. Then you guys are just going to have to trust me on this one. Topher smiles. And I'm sure it's supposed to be reassuring, but I can tell he's just as uncertain as I am. The sign for What Ails You hangs over the front door. There is actually a drawing of a man holding a bottle of something with X's on the label. He looks exceptionally happy judging by the bubbles coming out of his mouth and ears. The walls of the building are cracked. There are bars on the windows. I need to, I need, oh, sorry, I feel the need to point this out. I think about the kinds of places that put bars on windows, prisons, insane asylums, gun stores. I check the time on my phone. 
It's 1118. If I were, if I were still in school, I would be in writer's workshop right now, finishing my story about the astrophysicist who won the Nobel Prize and called his less accomplished, underachieving older sister to rub it in her face. Instead, I'm here. Now what? I ask. Now we just find the right mark, Topher says. I assume mark means person who is stupid enough to buy alcohol for minors. We all sit there on the corner, out of the sight of the barred windows so it doesn't look like we're loitering, and scan the scattered pockets of people crossing the street. I point at a few passing pedestrians, but every time Topher shakes his head, not him, he says, nope, not him either, nobody in a suit, not her, nobody with kids, nope, too old, too young. I point to one lady carrying several bags moving slowly down the sidewalk. Topher looks at me funny. She's expecting a baby. Use a, use a little common sense. I glare at him. Common sense says I should be in room 213 right now, listening to Miss Brownlee tell me about her pet dogs, rather than sitting on this curb looking for someone willing to risk incarceration to help three kids get their hands on a bottle of booze. Hold up, Topher says. What about that guy? He points to a man, mid-thirties, though I'm not a great judge of age, wearing torn jeans and a blue t-shirt. He wears scuffed cowboy boots, which makes me nervous. I don't really know anyone who wears cowboy boots. My father wouldn't be caught dead in cowboy boots. Unlike the other people who either walk in pairs or have their ears pressed to their phones, this man looks like he's got nowhere in particular to be. I'm not sure that's a good thing. What about sparkling grape juice, I ask. We could pick up some at the, grape, uh, at the grocery store. But Topher dismisses me with the wave of his hand. Nope, that is totally our guy, he says. Just let me do the talking. We wait for him to get closer before Topher stands up and calls out, Hey, mister, in the blue shirt, over here. For a moment, the man in cowboy boots looks like he's just going to keep on walking, and I'm relieved. But then Topher calls out again, Excuse me, sir, you got a second? The man turns around. You talking to me? I shake my head vigorously, but Topher nods and takes a step closer so that he doesn't have to shout. Brand and I immediately flank him. Now that he's close enough, I can see the man has a large scar on his chin, running almost up to his lip. Most likely from a prison knife fight or a barroom brawl, if I had to guess. Yeah, listen, Topher says. This is going to sound strange. I know, but I have a favor to ask. My mother's 40th birthday is tomorrow, and I wanted to buy her a bottle of wine, except, as you can see, I'm not quite old enough. The man has a tattoo running the length of his left arm, a green and gold dragon whose tail disappears into the sleeve of his shirt. I don't know anybody with tattoos either, even Miss Bixby's is make-believe. Not quite, the man repeats, fixing on Topher through squinted amber eyes. What are you, 10? 13, Topher says, feeling the need to embellish everything. So, like I said, her birthday's tomorrow, and we have money. We just need some assistance in the um, acquisition department. The man in the blue shirt looks at each of us. I can feel his eyes on me, but I can't bring myself to look back. Why don't you ask your dad to get it for you? He's dead, Topher says without missing a beat. Plane crash, six years ago, on his way home from a dental conference in Albuquerque. I can, however, look at Topher who somehow says this all with a straight face. His father's an accountant. Albuquerque, the man echoes, clearly not buying it. New Mexico, I interject, trying to be helpful. Topher nudges me with his elbow. The man with the dragon tattoo shakes his head. 
Just get her some flowers, boys, he says. He turns and starts to walk off, and I take a deep breath. But then Topher says, wait, and reaches out for the guy, which is a terrible idea. The man stops. All right, Topher says, that's not at all true. What I just said about my mom, it's not for her. We really need the bottle of wine for our teacher, who is sick in the hospital battling pancreatic cancer. She's leaving tomorrow for Boston, and we've skipped school just to go see her because they canceled the school party we were supposed to have, and we didn't get the chance to say goodbye. He said it all in one breath, as if he was afraid he'd never get it out otherwise. The man stops to consider it, then shakes his head. Your first story was better, he says. He doesn't walk away, though. Instead, all Instead, he eyes all three of us in turn. I make the mistake of making eye contact with him. His eyes look almost like golden coins with black holes in the middle. You say you got the money, he asks, still looking at me. I nod and swallow. Nod some more. He snaps his fingers impatiently, and I dig in my pockets for the bills left over from the bakery. Topher does the same, finding a ten that Brand gives back to him. Twenty-five bucks, the man coughs. That's it? That's everything? Why, it's 25 not enough? We only need one bottle, Topher, Topher says. Dragon Man scratches the scruff on his chin. He's got scabs on his knuckles. Knife fights and fist fights, probably. All right, here's the deal. You get 10 to spend on your dying mother's bottle of birthday wine. The rest I keep. Understood? We all look at each other. I'm not sure what the going rate is for bribing adults to break the law for you. I'm also not sure if $10 is enough to bottle of a wi- to buy a bottle of wine that will complement a $50 cheesecake. I kind of doubt it, but we aren't in the position to negotiate. Topher nods and I nod along with him. Bran doesn't move. All right, the man says. Give me the cash. You just wait out here. I start to hand over the bills, but Bran stops me, grabbing my wrist. No, he says. Excuse me, the man says. I try to step on Bran's foot to let him know that I don't think arguing with this tattooed stranger is a great idea, but he ignores you, ignores me. No, we have to go in with you. We have to pick it out ourselves. It has to be perfect. For some reason, this makes the man snort, and the snorting makes his face turn ugly. His mouth screws up at the corners. The perfect $10 bottle of wine? All right then, he says. We all go. We all go. But if anyone asks... I'm yours and yours, Dad, he points to Topher and Brand. And you, he says, pointing to me, last, were adopted from China. I'm Japanese, I tell him, then shut my mouth and stare again at my shoes. The man takes the cash from Topher and me and folds it together, stuffing it in the back pocket of his jeans. Then he starts toward the door of what ails you. Topher turns to me and grins. He obviously wants to tell me what a genius he is, to admit that he was right. Instead, I watch as Brand hesitantly reaches out and tugs on the back of the man's blue t-shirt again. What's your name? Brand asks. What do we call you? The man stops to think. You can just call me George, he says. George Nelson. What ails you is a lot like Alexander's, except except substitute bottles for books and brown stains on the floor for dust on the shelves. And the man standing behind the counter looks nothing like Mr. Alexander. For starters, he's big, almost Eduardo-sized. He's dressed in a red polo shirt that's way too tight around his thick neck. He's reading a magazine about baseball. He looks up and nods at George Nelson, then frowns when he sees the three of us in tow. 
All right, kids, George tells us loud enough that even people in the next building could, could probably hear. Go pick out a nice inexpensive bottle of wine for your mother. He turns to the man behind the register. It's her birthday tomorrow. The boys are making her dinner. That's nice. The giant black man behind the register says without conviction, then buries himself back in his magazine. I take one more look at the bars on the windows and follow Bran down the middle aisle, leaving our chaperone standing on the end. Let's hurry, I say. I don't want to be here any longer than we have to. What are we even looking for? Brand asks, so we can scan the legions of long neck bottles that comprise the wine section. I don't know jack about this stuff, Topher says. Miss Bixby didn't say what kind of wine she liked. It's probably not the sort of conversation you get into with sixth graders. I get out my phone, thanking my parents for splurging on unlimited data. The warning says my battery is only at 8%, but this is important. Behind us, George Nelson has started wandering the aisles, picking up bottles of brown liquid and eyeing them carefully. Every second that we are in this place makes me more anxious. The huge man behind the counter peers at us occasionally from over the top of his magazine. The Cubs have a great shot at winning their division this year, according to the cover. Let's just get this one, Brand says, holding up a bottle of something called Zinfandel. It says it's white. The cheesecake is white. It matches. I don't think that's the way it works. Topher counters. He looks at me, and I Google white chocolate raspberry cheesecake and wine. Turns out I'm not the first person to want to know. It's a question of compatibility. So many things are. Do you see a Moscato or Brachetto anywhere? I say, hoping I'm pronouncing them right. We all scan the shelves. There's this one, Robert Mondavi Napa Moscato de Oro, Topher says. Do you mean like de Oreo? De Oro. It has leafy symbols all over it. They all have leaves on them, I point out. This one is called Bodagasvaldividverdijokondisailo, Bran says, as if he's singing a scale. I think. Too long. What about Ostis Bumanti? I've actually heard of that, and it's only six bucks, Topher suggests. I thought Spumante was some kind of ice cream. My parents ordered it for me at an Italian restaurant once. I had to eat around the chunks of cherry. If it's only six bucks, it's no good, Bran says. Behind us, George Nelson is walking up and down the aisle by the door. Since when did you become a wine connoisseur? Topher looks at me. What does it say about this one? He holds up a bottle with another long Italian-looking name. I punch it into my phone and find a website full of wine descriptions. I read it out loud, keeping my voice at a whisper. Mild citrus and pear aromas combine with floral notes of rose, honey, and candied violets to create an intense yet delicate profile. Finishes fresh with just a hint of ginger. Sounds disgusting, Bran says. Yeah, Topher concurs, putting it back. How about this one? We all stand around my phone as I type it in. Black currant, cocoa, violet, and smoky aromas complemented by undertones of raspberry and loam, culminates in a silky and prolonged finish. God, gross! Who drinks this stuff? And what the heck is loam? Bran wants to know. I start to look that up too, but Topher interrupts me. Here, this one is exactly ten bucks and I can pronounce it. He holds up a bottle of wine called Whoop Whoop. Bran shakes his head. Look, Miss Bixby, we got you a bottle of Whoop Whoop. Let's try to find something that at least sounds classy, he says, 
Just get the first one, the one without the loam. As Topher and Brand stand there arguing, I follow a whim and type in the name George Nelson into my phone. There are no George Nelsons who live nearby, at least according to the social networking sites or the online white pages. I do learn that George Nelson was the name of a famous American furniture designer. He invented the living room, which is basically just the room with the biggest TV. George Nelson was also the nickname of one of the most infamous bank robbers and known murderers in American history. I put the phone down. Brand and Topher are debating what a candied violet might taste like, holding bottles in each hand. Hey, guys, I whisper, waving the phone at them. Guys, I think I might have found something. Suddenly, the guy behind the counter calls out to us, Boys? We all turn. He looks and, wait, sorry. We all turn. He points out the door. You're dad just took off without you. And that's the end of that chapter.